Welcome to a special edition of Trash Compactor. I am Josh, and joining me today is Bracey. Hello. James. This is the way. <laughs> and special returning champion guest, Maya Chupkov of the Proud Stutter Podcast. Thanks for coming back, Maya. Thanks for having me, and James stole my intro line. <laughs> well, uh, to catch our listeners up, Maya, as I said, is the host of the Proud Starter podcast, and uh, um, we had her on. I had her on as a guest. We did a great, um, a great interview about stuttering in media, and Maya has been slowly working her way through Star Wars media. She she actually hadn't seen Star Wars, and we're periodically kind of checking in with her to get a perspective from somebody coming to Star Wars new. You know, it's interesting, uh, Bracey, I think in our last sort of in-between season episode, or maybe two ones ago, I don't remember, uh, we were talking about how, you know, Star Wars is so massive now, like you don't even need to have seen the original movies to get into it and to be a fan. And I think, uh, you know, Maya is a perfect example of that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, 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 there's so much that even if, as a fan of Star Wars, like I'm, I, there's things that I've just chosen that are like I'm not going down that path anytime soon. Um, so it's kind of cool to see somebody who's just coming fresh and like kind of starting with the 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 the, the most recent stuff that that's happening. yeah, um, yeah. So Maya, so um, you just watched the three seasons of The Mandalorian. Prior to that, you watched um, first season of of Andor, which is a word I have trouble saying. Um, but um, so I guess just starting off, what are your overall thoughts on The Mandalorian? Yeah, it's interesting because I, so I watched Andor and then right after Andor, I binged season one and two. Um, and then right after that, season three started. And then I watched it like every week. So it was kind of different seeing the first two in such a quick time frame compared to to season three where I I was watching it live with like the rest of the the world um but I really loved season one and two especially like who doesn't love a Grogu like I'm just obsessed with him like I compare him now to my dog who like they have similar ears. And so I'm always like my little Grogu. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like o- o- overall, I think the-, the Mandalorian is super entertaining. I love, um, I love Din and Grogu's r- r- relationship. I just think it's so, cute and it makes me want to like see how their relationship evolves like I think their storyline is obviously like my favorite one um and I think what I'm most looking forward to if I'm assuming we'll see we'll see more episodes is how Grogu continues to use the force in different ways like I loved that last scene of Mandalorian season three, where we really see Grogu like show his stuff in like a new way. And I have to admit, I was like getting a little teary eyed when he was like having that bubble around him and protecting Bo and Din. I just thought that was, that was such a great moment. 
No, me too. Like as a dad, whenever, like, I don't know the stuff with, um, Grogu and Din, I call him Mando because I still just call him Mando. Like the stuff between them, like really hits me. Like it hits me right in the seals, but, um, you know, just generally speaking. So, so it sounds like you, you, you enjoy the show and you're into it. Um, I'm curious. So previously you had seen, you had seen Andor, which, you know, tonally I think is very different. I think Mandalorian is more kind of representative of like what the vibe of Star Wars generally is just in terms of like humor and the balancing of the humor and like, you know, kind of the mystical stuff. But, you know, it was interesting. You mentioned the force and um, I don't think they deal with or I, I don't think they even mentioned the force in the Andor series at all. Um, so, so was this sort of your first introduction to like that whole kind of, yeah, like that whole, that whole, that, that whole aspect of Star Wars is a big part of Star Wars, but, but so your first exposure is, um, the Mandalorian. I'm just like, I'm just wondering like what, what about your perception of the Star Wars universe and what Star Wars is, um, how um, how did that change going from Andor to Mandalorian, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah. So I think without watching Star Wars growing up, I always kind of knew just through pop culture that there was this thing called the Force in Star Wars. So it wasn't like a new concept for me, but it was definitely the first time I kind of saw it in action. And I... um and I'm not the one I'm not one to like do a lot of research after an episode. Like, let's say I like don't know who this character is. I'm not going to like, you know, like when Ahsoka show, sh showed up, I'm like, I'm not going to do like a deep dive. Like, I'm sure I'll eventually learn more about her as I s consume more and more just to Star Wars. But um, I'm the kind of person that just likes to enjoy it and learn it at a natural way by just watching. Although, like I said before, when we met last time, I do listen to like recaps of each show. And so through those recaps, I do learn about like the, the rest of the, the canon and like bite-sized pieces. So, um, so yeah, I do know that there, like there was, there's Yoda and that there's only two characters of their kind that exists as we know, as far as we know that there might be more. So yeah, I know a few things, but I think with Andor, I really, I, I, I really didn't see it as a Star Wars show because it just seemed like <laughs> it's, it just seemed, um, like it was like its own thing. Um, but with the Mandalorian, I definitely am starting to see or to like understand that this is way more like Star Warsy and like there's just so much um there's a lot to go there's a lot to going on because we're able to, to travel to a bunch of planets and meet a bunch of characters that and like you know, like I know a big thing in Star Wars is like having all those buttons and machines and like having stuff happen after that. So like I, I'm starting to get to know 
the Star Wars vibe th- through watching Mando. Uh, similar to you, my family uh, was really getting introduced to Star Wars. I feel more properly through through um, Mandalorian, even though they've seen some of the movies around because I've been playing it or, or things like that. But I, I found it fascinating how well uh, 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 the Grogu character just sucks in um, uh, people, especially like uh, my two daughters and my wife. Uh, they had gotten me a Grogu mug for Christmas, and it meant nothing to them. They just got it to me for me because they were like, "Oh, Dad's a Star Wars fan." But then, like all of a sudden, them watching this, uh, like now it's the mug that they want, and they fight over because <laughs> it's got Grogu on it, like in in cute and stuff like that. And it's just, um, it, it, I, I think it's uh, amazing how well they crafted this uh, uh, this combination between Mandalorian uh, uh, between uh, Dinjar. Uh, Din, oh man, D- Din Dejarin is that is that like it's like a DJ kind of? Um, I think the second. Uh, is it the I think the second day. I, I think the second D is silent. It's like Django. It's like Django. Yeah, yeah. Din uh, Dinjarin Din uh, uh, and and Grogu. It's like a such a a good dynamic that it like it it's really accessible for for a lot of people. Um, I I think it's a. Oh, really interesting. And, and this the second time through, I learned so much more uh, uh, than I was able to appreciate the first uh, the first viewing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I really do get the sense from Mando. So just for some context, you know, The Mandalorian was the first Star Wars TV series. So at the time, it was like the sort of new animal. You know, there was there had been some controversy around the recent um, Star Wars movies. So everyone was sort of like, you know, looking to this to see like what the future of Star Wars might uh, be like. And I remember, you know, I just found it really refreshing how kind of episodic it was and how, you know, kind of, this sounds weird to say, but like comparatively low stakes, especially in the beginning, it's like, it just seemed like, you know, it was like a kind of TV that I didn't realize I missed uh, because like, like every TV show now is just like very intertwined. Like you have to really lean in, pay attention to every little thing. I mean, I'm not saying that like you shouldn't be paying attention or you don't have to be paying attention uh, to Mando or what you're watching. Uh, but like, there was this like kind of like lightness about it that like felt fun and adventurous that I really appreciated. And especially in those, um, especially in that, in that first season. Um, and it's interesting to hear you say Maya that like you watched Andor and it like, it didn't feel like a star Wars show. It's like, even you sort of see it as like its own sort of thing. It's, it's, it's doing its own thing. Um, I'm curious about two things. Having seen, having seen Andor, that's sort of the story of when the empire is at its height and the Mandalorian is set right after the fall of the empire. And I don't know if that was something that was, was confusing to you or if it was immediately obvious or like how long, uh, before you sort of like realized like what the empire was and like how it sort of fit into everything is that I'm just curious what your, yeah. uh, your takeaway was. I knew it was, I knew pretty quickly that it was in like in the future of Andor. Um, 
But yeah, I I didn't really know where in the timeline it was just because like I haven't seen anything else. But like through listening to these recaps, I slowly started putting it together that like the empire fell and now there's this new republic that is kind of like doesn't really know what they're doing, it seems like. (laughs) And, And there's like little traces of like the empire like that's council group um but but then i get confused about okay there's the empire strikes back so are we like before that or after that (laughs) we are after that yeah oh okay okay yeah so the original trilogy of movies star wars which is sometimes called a new hope the empire strikes back and return of the jedi are episodes four five and six and those are the first three Star Wars films from the late 70s and early 80s. And that's the the story of sort of the 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 battle to defeat the Empire. So so Andor is set right before that. And then Mandalorian happens a few years after Return of the Jedi. So so spoiler alert, they they defeat the Empire in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. Or do they, Josh, or do they defeat the Empire at the end of Return of Jedi? Well, fair point. (laughs) Touche, James. Um, Yeah, I mean, the other thing I'm wondering, just the last thing specifically, was, um, you know, it was a big deal when Luke Skywalker showed up at the end of the second season. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's another... Yeah, I'm wondering like how that hit you. Like I'm wondering if that's another one of those sort of sort of instances where the reputation in pop culture at large sort of you sort of felt the weight or the significance like <laughs> without having necessarily direct knowledge of it. I'm wondering how that sort of landed for you. Yeah, I was like so excited even though I'd like never seen stars. I was like, "Oh my god, I know this is a big deal cuz it like Luke Skywalker is like one of the most popular Star Wars characters and he's Darth Vader's son, right? Uh, spoiler alert, yeah. Yeah, so I just I knew he was significant and that and that's when I started to like feel more of the weight of Star Wars because now they're starting to like insert all these like really well-known characters and so it's like I think the, the stakes got a little higher after se- season two. And I think because season two ended with such a like monumental moment of him sh- showing up that I think there was a lot of pressure put on se- se- season three that I think they didn't quite land the pl- plane. In my opinion, I-, I thought it was a great season, but I think there was, um, there was just some, like, I didn't quite follow the story. Like, it was a little jagged. Like, at one point, I thought it started at being around Bo rather than Din and Grogu. And so, um, but overall, I think it was great. But c- comparing, like, season two finale with season three, I think it just didn't have that monumental factor like we had. Uh, uh, did you make that layover in Boba Fett uh, on your way to season three? Like, how did you manage 
uh, Boba Fett between uh, seasons two and three? So I had the help of Josh to let me know to watch those episodes in Book of Boba Fett um, that had Mando in it. So that was helpful. (laughs) And I did watch those. I think I may have like just like flagged for you that like maybe you might want to watch those episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, But then once I saw the season three premiere of Mando and how like they didn't even do like a recap. I think I immediately followed up and I was like, by the way, remember my gentle suggestion? Like, no, I take that back. You absolutely have to watch those episodes from Book of Boba Fett because otherwise like and that's why. You know, Maya, you just said, like, for a while, it seems like the Dan Grogu relationship is sort of not the focus. And I think you're alluding to something um, we can start to talk about. But I think it's it's not just you. I feel like I've heard in a lot of places, and I certainly felt, especially in the beginning of the season, it seemed like the story was kind of, I don't want to say rudderless, because, like, they clearly had a thing that they were doing. It was just sort of, it was just a little unfocused. But like, what if those two or three episodes of the Book of Boba Fett had had been the first three episodes of this season? Like the whole season would have been really tight, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was a weird move to me. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't. So so did you just watch those few episodes of the Book of Boba Fett or are you someone who's like a completist and you're like, no, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to start from the beginning and watch them all. No, I just watched those episodes. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. Your choice. I um, wanted to I, stick with Mando. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I understand. I it was hard getting the family through that one. Like that one like, like I was like, we got we're we're gonna we're gonna watch it. We're gonna get through this. And uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a decision liked by the whole family. I uh, uh, but I gotta say, going through uh, uh the original uh the original, the first two seasons again. Um, and, and Josh, I, t- I told you this, like I, I, I was rediscovering how much subtle growth that they were putting into, uh, of uh, a man, of a Mando character, um, and, uh, how they were making these like really, uh, well considered steps for building the mythology of this character and building the elements a piece by piece like literally piece by piece lesson by lesson you see him build his armor and his relationship with Grogu and his relationship uh, uh with the Mandalorian culture and like uh, and all this stuff and I feel like what I experienced going through the third season and it really didn't hit home for me until the last episode but it just felt like they were doing a slow build and it felt like they were forced to pay stuff off. Like they were forced to pay, pay off a lot of things for, uh, for the Mandalorian. Well, not necessarily pay off, but like just dive right into like the Mandalorian culture and all this stuff. And like, they were trying to like build, it felt like they were trying to rebuild the magic of star Wars that I think we had lost over the prequels and into the, uh, 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 the sequels. I, uh, but it felt like all of a sudden it was just like forced starting in uh, Book of Boba Fett to just like, no, time to, we got to we got to we got to sell some some stuff. I don't know. It's like it felt like it's like we need more Mando characters for everybody. We can't just well, have like a Meryl Mando. We need uh, we need enough people, enough like uh, enough for uh, uh, for everyone to share. Um, well, I don't know if anybody else got that feeling. 
I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one here who's been through the Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, I think I think you are, James. Yes. Okay, yeah. so I've been through I've been through the Clone Wars, and um, <laughs> and um, I think uh, I'm not saying the season. I like the season. It's obviously not a well balanced season. And to answer your point, Bracy, I think I don't know if they were forced, but Dave Filoni definitely wanted to pay off what he started in Clone Wars and Rebels. And, and finish it, I think, before Ahsoka came out, because that's his other big payoff. So I don't know if like the plan in his mind was always to introduce a solo Mandalorian character who would help him unlock the, the vintage Star Wars legacy characters and also allow him to pay off all the things he didn't get to finish in Rebels and Clone Wars. But, uh, you know, for me, like Bo-Katan, I've, I've been with her for a long time in the story and the Darksaber and like, you know, not that I'm not saying it doesn't mean as much to you, to all of you watching it as as it should, because I think a series should probably stand on its own without having to watch, I don't know, eight or 10 seasons of other shows to get the same impact. But um, this was all stuff that we were hoping would get paid off. So when we got to see her get the Darksaber and Mandalore got to be retaken. Uh, that was a big finishing moment for for Clone Wars, <laughs> I guess, uh, fans. But um, but I could see like if you don't have that history, and I, and I, I always I kind of struggle with this in pop culture. Like I don't know if you should be required to watch all that to get the same effect, the same feeling, because it, it felt it landed differently for you, Bracy, and and Josh and and Amaya, I'd like to hear too. Then then it landed for me and. Um, you know, because it seems forced, like they're adding all these Mandalorian characters and, you know, some of those characters we've seen in animated, but we've not seen really in live action that many. So, um, I gotta say, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I'm not going to say that like, it was just like my critical mind looking at that, uh, was just like, they're like the, uh, the speed of the pacing kind of similar to what, uh, uh, Josh had said, like they were doing things so episodic and very careful with the long story. And it felt like the whole, the whole storytelling device got like stolen, like almost like taken, like, like it felt like it was forced in a direction that I enjoyed because like they applied a lot of the lessons that we learned along the way that made uh, a, a watching Mandalorian great. But it just like something felt like this feels like somebody kind of commandeered someone else's vehicle and is driving it in a different direction. Well, that's interesting. You know, I mean, first, I just want to be clear. So, so, it's actually sort of an interesting conversation because we have like three levels of investment here um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to season three, uh, because I've seen maybe a couple of episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels, like, but I have not seen the vast, vast majority of Clone Wars and Rebels. And I was only uh, familiar with the Ahsoka character from things I've read or clips of things. So, you know, similarly uh, to you Maya like with Luke Skywalker like I saw when Ahsoka showed up I'm like oh okay so this is a big deal right like I get it that that like uh you know and she was really cool and like I sort of like knew vaguely the backs by the backstory and I knew like it didn't like hit me hit me and similarly um like I just wasn't super invested in all of like the internal Mando stuff like I am just for this season in particular I mean, like, I thought it was cool, like, on a superficial level. Um, uh, but I thought there was something, you know, my my investment wasn't the same as the first two seasons. And to be completely honest, like, my 
my standout episodes of this season were the two that one episode that was on was on Coruscant with Dr. Pershing, where you sort of saw the inner workings of the New Republic and like got a window into how they were dealing with the transfer of power in the galaxy from like the evil empire to the New Republic. And, it, you know, like you were alluding to my like the New Republic doesn't seem all that great. It's kind of it kind of seems like it's like, you know, floundering a little bit, you know, which, again, I think is very kind of realistic in terms of, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's like it's like they're trying to make this show like like Andor because Andor was so great. And now this is like the Andor episode of Mando. Like, I didn't think that necessarily, but the one connection that I do see, they're really trying to treat the story of revolution very realistically and very seriously. And I think it is in keeping with that to show that once the revolution is fought and won, it's not so easy to then replace the government with something great. <laughs> like that, to me, rang very depressingly true. Um, and the other episode I loved was um, uh, the one with... Um, Lizzo? Uh, yeah, with uh, uh, Lizzo <laughs> and Jack Black and Christopher Lloyd. Not because of the three of them, though. Though I mean, that was sort of the icing on the cake. Uh, but I loved how we kind of really got into this weird issue about droids. And like I always say, like, you know, the dirty secret of the Star Wars universe is that like they pretend that they're just machines so they don't have to really consider that they're actually treating them like slaves. And I like the couple of times in Star Wars, I think in that episode in particular, where they kind of really deal with it head on. But it's like, you guys realize this is like kind of pretty fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> these droids are very obviously sentient, alive creatures, and you're just pretending that they're like dustbusters. <laughs> Uh, uh, not just the droids, but also watching uh, uh, watching, Mandal Ma watching Mandalorian. I also realized like they use aliens as the way of like uh, uh, we need to kill a lot of people on screen. Like, sure. uh, like we need to show how bad yeah. this is. Uh, 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 so we'll make them aliens. <laughs> we just change them, and then and then it's like you know it's okay. We can just like mow through them and make them suffer in multiple different ways. But you know. We can make it comical because they're aliens, and, uh, and uh, that really stood out to me uh, uh, this season uh, uh, more more than more than ever. Um, I, I have a question for James, actually. Why uh, uh, coming from uh, coming from an understanding um, of of the of the previous material, Rebels and, and Clone Wars, uh, something that I was looking for, I uh, was like thinking that was about to be a payoff, uh, uh, not knowing the material from before seeing all these Mandalorians and knowing that there's this whole, uh, this whole religious group that, uh, 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 that don't take off their masks and, and uh, uh, they're all basically like grown from foundlings, finding uh, 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 peop uh, creatures, people from, from around, the, around the world. I was thinking that uh, this was all building towards a uh, moment where they actually do unify and when uh, they take off their helmets, uh, you see that they actually, that whole half is like just complete like aliens, creatures from different different worlds because I was like, I mean, if they're taking foundlings and the only thing that they care about is is uh, that they follow the way, 
uh, uh, that there's an interesting thing that can come together. But I, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that that's not at, at all going to ever be the, the thing. It's like, uh, I was just wondering if there's any insight as to like that, that sect from, from the culture. Well, I mean, I, I want to, I mean, I won't go down too far a rabbit hole. I'll try to do like a little synopsis, but back good. when man Mandalore was in before the empire ruined it, um, Mandalore was kind of a little bit like Coruscant where a lot of people were sort of just walking around, like not wearing armor and stuff. It was part of their culture, but there was like specific people who wore the Mandalorian armor. And then there was a specific group of extremists who were against the way the things were called death watch. And, mm-hmm. and then when the empire got involved, death, yeah, death watch became death watch helped like to def- try to defeat Mandalore. And at one point um, the enemies of Mand- uh, the Mandalore and then, I don't want to even get more confusing, but I'll just drop this name. At one point, Darth Maul runs Mandalore and the Death Watch are his, he's a head of Death Watch basically because he has, he's gotten the dark saber and there's all this stuff. But anyway, after man, that's just like a little encompassed history I'll just give. And then after Mandalore was destroyed by the empire and the, and all the Mandalorians had to leave their home world. Um, the sect that Din is part of is sort of a spinoff from Death Watch, but they've adopted even different type of extremism because death watch could take off their helmets. They weren't all like wearing their helmets all the time. Like there were plenty of, um, you know, episodes where they, you could see the head of death watch and they were all exposed. So this is sort of a sub faction that's developed out of the fall of Mandalore. And then, and also in, in the series, like you would typically, you know, you were born into a Mandalorian bloodline. And so you would, you know, you would take the oath and you would be given the armor of your ancestors and stuff. So I think the foundling thing is also something that spun out of the fact that they were sort of a homeless tribe, just trying to rebuild their ranks the best they can. Uh, now that they have a home world again, I don't know if they're going to continue to open their ranks to, you know, the lost. That's interesting. But yeah. that this is all a spinoff because I, they've lost they've lost their tribe or they lost their home, and now they're a lost tribe. You know what it reminds me of? There was an article that I read during season three. I think the headline was was something like, "Is the Mandalorian low key Jewish?" <laughs> and basically what it was saying was that there are a lot of parallels in the way that the Mandalorians and the factionalism and their experience sort of being spread out and, you know, losing their culture is um, kind of analogous to the Jewish diaspora on like a lot of levels. If you think about it, like the Orthodox faction and like the the reform faction and sort of like, you know, what is the right way forward after your culture is on is on the brink of distinction. So I think um, I'll link to that article in the show notes uh, because beyond that, like very superficial parallel, there were a lot of very specific references, like names and things that, you know, made a pretty compelling argument that this was something done intentionally which I found kind of interesting, but, um, well, I think even in, um, uh, the, I've heard those comparisons too. And I think even the piece that he brings back in the first or second episode to verify that Mandalore actually exists or the pools exist, that the prayer that's written on the thing is a Jewish prayer from what I understand. No. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. They said that they said that in the article, they were like the living waters of Mandalore sound suspiciously like a mikvah, the naturally derived pool of still water used for purification and conversion in Judaism. Which also reminds me, conversion is like a big thing in Judaism as well. Like, especially after the Holocaust, like there's a, like, usually Jews are not traditionally, you know, walking around trying to convince everyone else that they should also be Jewish. But after the Holocaust, like there are different factions that 
have different feelings and thoughts about converting to Judaism. Like some think we should open our arms and like, and anyone can be Jewish. And it's like, you know, it's a way like to rebuild our culture. And then like, there are some more extreme elements in my opinion that wouldn't even consider me Jewish, for example. So I see a lot of those uh, dynamics in play here. And I would just be curious how much of that is, you know, knowingly there and like how much of that is just like an interesting coincidence or parallel. Uh, which reminds me of what I was going to say earlier. I mean this in the best way possible. I really do get the sense that like the Mandalorian, they're just kind of making it up as they go along. And I don't, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Like that's how most art and most stories happen. It's like, it's all, you know, I hate to ruin the illusion for anyone, but like, it's all made up and like, what? it just depends, on, you know, not to say that there's no forethought or that like there's no intentionality with like what they end up doing. But I do feel like the plan such as it is, is much looser, at least when it comes to this show in particular. And I also kind of, it's, it's kind of hard to escape the sense that like the Mandalorian is just sort of like star Wars, the show. And like, you know, you can just have an episode that's all about this like random side character, but see what he's up to on this planet and see what's going on. And then also as, as sort of like a backdoor pilot launching pad for spinoff shows. It's like, you know, before we started uh, recording, um, uh, you know, Maya, I loved when you were like, are we going to talk about the Ahsoka trailer? And like, I would love to talk about the Ahsoka trailer. Like, I mean, again, like I'm not really that invested in that character because, again, I haven't seen Clone Wars. I haven't seen Rebels. Uh, but I saw that trailer. I was like, this looks pretty fucking cool. Like, I'm now... I went from like, yeah, I guess I'll watch it probably uh, to like, yeah, yeah, I will watch that. That's like a two for Josh. That that shows like a leg, like a, a legacy character and a legacy character with the introduction of Thrawn into live. Oh, action Grand too. Admiral Thrawn, right? Yeah, which is a big deal for me too. So I was like, I'm like, this show's fantastic. <laughs> no, I mean that's a big deal for me. So, uh, so Maya, by way of explanation, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who, who Ahsoka refers to, in I think season two of Mando is when she shows up, right? Yeah. 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 Season two. Yeah. yeah. Um, Star Wars, for most of the 1980s, like no one really talked about Star Wars anymore. And then in the early 90s, there was a trilogy of novels that sort of like re rekindled excitement about Star Wars again. And it introduced a new villain, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was this like red eyed, blue skinned tactician. And like he was never like an official character because he was you know, never in any of the movies and stuff. But then recently they slowly started like reintroducing certain more well fondly remembered aspects of what's called the expanded universe from the 90s and 2000s. Like they're like reintroducing some of that stuff like into the canon. So so Grand Admiral Thrawn has been like a fan favorite for a long time and we've never actually seen the character uh well, certainly in live action. I know he was in Rebels, right, James? Yeah, yeah, he was in Rebels. He's they're picking up of the end of the last season of that storyline where he was in. He was appeared, and Timothy uh, Zahn, who created the character, actually has written like six novels that are now in canon for the Star Wars universe about the character. So I guess they've been they're prepping this for a long time. Uh, Timothy Zahn, I actually had this thought yesterday. I don't know why, because I guess like I just randomly have random thoughts about Star Wars as I go about my day, which I don't know if that's a concerning. <laughs> Uh, condition or if that's you know, I do too normal. now so <laughs> you, you should both get that checked out yeah 
Um, <laughs> uh, let me know if you know anyone who treats that phrase. But um, uh, uh, Timothy Zahn also named Coruscant. Like he yeah. came up with that name, I think. Yes, I mean, I'm I'm still like in the middle of rereading the Heir to the Empire uh, trilogy right now, and uh, he came up with a lot of stuff actually. Like you know, just like the way we conceive of the some of the modern Star Wars universe, it came from from him because I'm assuming those are the only those are the only real expansion books that we had on the on, on the original trilogy, and they he came first. So a lot of the stuff that we, I guess, take for granted is stuff that came from from him. <laughs> Not to get very deep in the weeds here, and uh, Maya, I do apologize for this, but um, so the Star Wars role-playing game from from West End Games in like 1988, the guys who wrote that, they came up with a lot of world-building stuff that I think like people just sort of, you know, accepted as whatever. There's actually a really good interview with, um, I think, the head of West End Games on friend of the podcast, Brandon Buenardi's podcast, uh, Talking Bay 94. Uh, that's like super, super interesting. It's like, you know, when no one really cared about Star Wars, like West End Games, they got the license to make a role-playing game and they just like generated all of this world-building material like to make the game uh, more interesting. And it's 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 stuff that, you know, we've been living with for the last, you know, 30-something years. So and my apologies. Cool. I mean, then time of these on probably took from that because I, I was like the stuff, because like, the stuff in these books is like really like, I was like, this is detailed stuff that he's got going on here. So speaking of detailed stuff, Maya, this is a question for you. Like how, how deep, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Before we get too far, cause I I really wanted to, uh, 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 cause you kind of dropped something and I'm, I'm, I just like a little bit more detail on what you think about, uh, uh, when you were talking about, uh, you don't feel like, uh, you feel like, uh, they're making it up as they go along. Not so much the characters, but the creators of the, of the show. Um, and, and when I, on my first time through, I kind of, I, I had that same kind of general sense. It's like, oh, it's just an episodic show, but. Uh, 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 when I was going through the second time, like uh, the, I felt uh, a stronger sense of intentionality with every step that they were taking. And I'm curious as to like what, what you think uh, the cycle of making it up, like how far in like, what kind of groupings do you think that they were, uh, they were working in? Because I, I definitely have a, a sense of like up to season two, that there was like definitely a, uh, uh, like like a, a strong sense of growth of like where they were going and like what could happen if they grew this way for a a, a much longer longer shot of the show. Um, I think season by season, I think you know I think John Favreau, I think he sits down to write a new season and I think he sort of has kind of an overriding concept and I think the idea of sort of deconstructing or discovering Mando's identity and his relationship with his culture and exploring that culture and deconstructing it and kind of, you know, you know, looking at it from different angles. Like, I think like that's all very intentional, but I think within that structure, it's sort of a little more freewheeling, like something that I would love to, you know, like it gets complicated. Like I imagine like he talks to Dave Filoni about like, like he has like a question about, you know, Mandalorian culture, and then Dave Filoni will give him a download on like, you know, this whole history or whatever. And then John Favreau was like, oh, okay, well, that's a cool idea. Then you know what I can do with that? And that already kind of fits in with what I was doing here and then blah, blah, blah. So, so I think it's just like a little more freewheeling, but you did make a point, uh, uh, we were talking off air at some point 
about like the parallels between questioning the orthodoxy of the extreme sect of Mandalorians, or actually not necessarily just the extreme sect, but sort of like holding up the beliefs and the culture and their quote unquote rules and sort of holding it up to the light compared to like doing the same thing with the Jedi. It's like, you know, there are rules and there are rules and there's the way, and then there's the way it's just, it's, it's sort of like, how strictly do you adhere to the quote unquote rules before it starts to defeat the spirit of the rules? Like, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, at what point is it? ritual and dogma for ritual and dogma's sake to me it just like strikes me like that's the kind of thing that like once you realize that's there you're like oh that's there i'm gonna lean into that i feel like these are things you discover through the process of writing and creating something uh my read and i'm curious on 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 others take on this is just that like i felt like there was a strong direction in in like kind of getting back to that heart of the force and what and the uh, the way that you could do that is through this mandalorian knight uh a uh, uh, culture but then also at the like planting a seed at the heart of that uh, uh which is a a character that we now we know uh, can live for 900 years at least and I think I just thought that that was a really interesting choice to put that character between these two worlds. It felt very intentional to be like, that's the direction that's going. And uh, 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 the moment that I feel like was like beautiful and I feel like it's just like the most subtle, beautiful moment in all of the Mandalorian seasons is just uh, a Din Djarin sitting next to Grogu in the ship after after a lot of stuff went down and him lifting up his helmet and taking a sip next to Grogu. And it's like, it's such a subtle moment, but if you pay attention to like every single episode and the character development, and then even in the third season, I feel like they kind of flagged that that's a really important thing because of how that group practices even just eating or eat, drinking something. It's like everybody leaves the fire pit and goes on their own that that like, there's it, like something in that moment felt like so intentional and that like there's a much stronger anchor that that was being pulled towards. I agree with you, uh, uh, though, entirely, like like filling in the gaps or how these things work, uh, 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 you know, that's uh, that's kind of like you make it up as going along. But I, I just felt like this show more than ever made me feel like that uh, 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 he did the opposite, that uh, uh, that like he actually had a direction that we needed to go. And like how we get there is the journey, but like the destination is, is, is clear. Yeah. I mean, that could be true. Like, like, again, like, I don't know, but, but like, you know, when you're starting with a character who's like number one quality is how cool his helmet is, then it makes sense to me that story-wise you would be like, okay, well, let's make the helmet a thing. It's like, why, why doesn't he ever take off that helmet? Is like, is that a bad thing if you take off your helmet? Well. Yeah, like there must be rules and stuff. Like otherwise, like why would he have it on all the time? It's just ridiculous. So I think it's like it's like one of those examples where you sort of like lampshaded. It's like, well, how do we deal with the fact that this character never takes off his helmet? Well, make that part of the story. And then, you know, once you get there, it's like, oh, okay. Well, then like if we make taking your helmet off a big deal, 
then that sort of like leads you down all of these interesting roads. It has a lot of reverberating implications, ramifications, implications. Well, to your point, Josh, about like them, like sort of asking Dave Filoni, like, man, like the, the idea of not taking your helmet off, we only, we never saw Boba Fett take his helmet off. So we don't know. And then in the Clone Wars, Mandalorians do take their helmet off. So this was a direct, like we could have seen, I guess, Pedro Pascal more, but this was something Dave Filoni was like, nope, this guy's not going to take his helmet off. So this was like something he added to the lore of the Mandalorians for the Mandalorian. Well, but also the way they shot the first season, I know that they shot a lot of it before they even had cast Pedro Pascal. So I know that. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of this is just like, it's just like practicalities and like, you know, yeah. realizing like, well, the character is cool because he looks cool and the armor is cool and the helmet is cool. So like, when do we show him, when do we have him not wearing the helmet? And then I feel like it's like, well, I don't really want to think about that right now. We'll like figure that out later. I think is sort of the kind of thing. And then it's like, oh, okay, well then that's a, so, but that's interesting, James. Like, I don't actually know if we have talked about it on a podcast or not, but I know I've had this conversation with many of you many times, but I feel like, you know, what the Mandalorian was like, they really wanted to basically do uh, the Boba Fett show. Um, uh, but the problem is that Boba Fett turned into a different character. But then ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason why Boba Fett was so cool was because he was so mysterious and his armor was really cool. So why don't we just make another guy with the same armor and then we could do whatever we want? And then I feel like that's sort of what this show is. It's like, and then ironically, they try to do the Boba Fett show and it's sort of weighed down with all of this baggage and lore and kind of, you know, reconciling the kind of character he is in the memory of like a 90s fandom culture with like who the character became in the 2000s and like the prequels and stuff. And it's just like, he was the coolest when he, you never saw his face. And so I think they were like, well, let's learn a lesson here and let's not show his face as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I think they, yeah. I mean, Mandalorian is, I guess, the Boba Fett show we should have gotten. And the Boba Fett show that we got was what the best they could do with what they had to work with is what I'll say for the Boba Fett show in, in, rec in, in hindsight now of that show being out. This is, this, is where, this is where the plan went and these are the two characters we got out of it. But they also play with that concept of who it like who is Boba Fett, who is the Mandalorian. Like they, yeah. it's clear that they're playing with this that theme in multiple representations. Who has the helmet? Who has the armor? Who's the sheriff who's wearing it initially? Is Boba Fett? At the same time, Mando feels that was more cool. Like Boba Fett. And then also you have the real Boba Fett, the real Boba Fett who's uh, 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 looking for the armor. And they like kind of played the Boba Fett when the sheriff was wearing the armor a little closer towards like what you would expect the Boba Fett character to feel like, um, like redone, but it's like also feels like there's, there's not a lot of meat there. Like there's not a lot that you could grow from a character wearing the armor, the way that w I think we envisioned it would have been when we were uh, uh, watching the original series. So I think they, they're, they're aware. And I think that's actually why I really love It's like, they're playing with a lot of these themes and, and even just the the idea of like what the Mandalorian is, like it became clear after the uh, after the first season, uh, a second viewing is like, like wait a second, I immediately thought that the Mandalorian was Din Djarin, but like very possible that it's just talking about like the this is the Mandal like this is 
I don't know, the gunfighter, like the gunslinger, you know, so, or, or right. it's Christian. It's like, it's the Templar, it's the Jedi, you know, like it just, it has a broader meaning and we're just looking at the larger scope through this one little window. And ultimately I think it's going to mean Dan Grogu. What I want to know about Dan Grogu is how is he got to fit his sloppy little ears under that helmet? Oh, we went. <laughs> so cute. I, I don't think he should wear a helmet. That would just defeat the purpose of. I think it'll look like uh, 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 there's a rapper, uh, Doom, um, and he has kind of like a he has like a helmet. I think it'll look cool. I think I think they could do some cool things with with it. I don't think I think they're gonna find an excuse not to r require that. It's too good. It's too good of an opportunity. They're not gonna give. Why would you want to hide that face helmet. though? I mean, that's true. Why would you want to? Well, see, see, but this is the problem. Like, like when you create a character whose main attribute is how cool his face expressions. Well, so, but I'm talking about like the Mandalorians in general, like their one, their number one quality is like how cool the armor is. So like, how do you have one without the armor? Like one thing that I like about the show is that they, they kind of made that a part of the story. Like they also think that their armor is the coolest, like so much so that like, <laughs> like they can't even take it off. But yeah, like. You know, John Favreau had a quote that um, was going around. He was like, you know, the show could go on forever. And given that Grogu is a baby and we know that Yoda's can live to be like 900 years old. I mean, like he can he can be a baby for at least 10 seasons uh, without. Yeah. Uh, without a big without, without a big issue. <laughs> James, I have one question for you. So so Bo-Katan, does she look a little young in this um yeah i i'm gonna just be honest with you i don't know how mandalorians age she so yes <laughs> yeah so yes yeah i mean i don't know how mandalorians age uh, so i mean this is clearly like again i didn't know katie stackoff said like many years ago when they were doing clone wars she like briefly mentioned they floney made a passing comment like you know we're gonna do this live action one day she's like ah ha ha and then she gets the call to be Bo-Katan a few years later. So, like, he's he's been working on this idea for a long, long time. So, I mean, because I, I mean, all I'm saying is that is that Obi-Wan Kenobi looked like Ewan McGregor in The Clone Wars. And then he turned into Alec Guinness, like, pretty quick. And then we have Bo-Katan, who looks like the age that she probably was then. I'm just yeah. saying, it's a little weird. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Mandalorians age slower than us, and they're just not going All right. into. I, I have no, I have no canon yeah. to pull from. I have no. no I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> asking you to justify it. I was asking you if I was right, like to raise an eyebrow. And I haven't even seen Clone Wars because also in um, in Ahsoka, they're bringing and I, I, they're bringing the character of Sabine in from Rebels, and, and who also she, looks suspiciously young. She looks younger than she looked in Rebels. <laughs> to be perfectly, I mean, it's hard to tell with actually animated, but she looks younger than she does in Rebels a little bit. So, I, I don't know. I'm hoping Ezra looks when we bring him in. He looks older because he's not a Mandalorian. So, but yeah, it looks like it looks like he's just they're keeping them as they were from the show, um, with no explanation about that. Is Ahsoka, where in the timeline is that show? Oh, ah Ahsoka, Clone Wars takes place in between episode two and episode three. And well, so, she's so, a, but it's, oh, oh, I mean the Ahsoka show, the new show when it's coming out? Yeah, the new yeah. show. Um, I'm thinking it's taking place right in parallel with the Mandalorian timeline. Yeah, and yeah that's so, the impression that I get. 
And Ahsoka should be, because she was a teenager in the Clone Wars, so she's got to be, I don't know, what do we, what do we get? Like, I, I don't know, Josh, how old would she be? 50, 60? I don't know. I got to ask uh, ChatGPT oh. to do that math for me. Yeah, she's like a, she's a, she's at least a 50 or 60 year old woman. But again, they don't age like. And wait, what was her name again? The woman you just. Oh, Bo-Katan? No, the other oh, one. Oh, uh, Sabine. Sabine, yeah. So there's S- Sabine and then th- there's another Oh, yes, character. yes. Yes, I, um, Hera, Hera, Hera. Yes, Hera, yes. Oh, no, that's not who I'm talking about. <laughs> There was, there's someone that, there's a villain that died that they, I keep hearing and there, and like, I think there, there was speculation they might try to clone him or something or them. Um, which character? Um, it would have been before the Mandalorian. They kept, I kept hearing their name like, oh, are they going to bring back this per, this villain? Well, that's interesting. Like, first off, Maya, I love how like how plugged in you are that that you're like paying attention to like Ahsoka rumors. But um, to bring us toward a close here, uh, let's talk about the the Ahsoka trailer. Like, first off, Maya, how did you come across it? And like, what did you think of it? Yeah, I found it through the the recap um, podcast I listened to. Um, They had mentioned it and they also like would give um because one of the hosts on that podcast also watched uh, watched clone wars and rebels and so i got some context from her about ahsoka and her story and that and so yeah i watched the trailer and i thought it would be a good next star wars show to watch after this one because it's 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 right around the, the corner, right? Yeah, I think it's coming out in like August, something like that. Um, I think it's actually December. Oh, December. Well, yeah. So I mean, kind of. It's, it's kind of around the corner. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of around the corner. No, yeah, I saw the trailer, and again, like I'm always like, you know, it really it really takes more than like spaceships and explosions and laser guns to get me interested in something these days. I'm not a I'm not a kid anymore. It's like, yeah, you're going to give me something to latch onto. And I saw that trailer and I was like, this is, this is cool. This is all right. Okay. All right. You did it. It looks, it looks really good. And I got to say, I got a, I got a TV upgrade in the middle of watching Mandalorian. So like the last season I was able to watch on like a big screen, 4k screen. And it was just like, oh my God, like things have really, the future's looking a whole lot better. Like everything is looking, <laughs> it looks so good. I, uh, so then when I was seeing some of the shots in the Ahsoka, uh, Ahsoka trailer, I was like, this, oh man, this, this looks really good. Like they're really, they're really up in their game. They're, they're putting some time into the, uh, of the look of this stuff. Um, closing thoughts. Maya, thank you as always for, for taking the time to check in with us. Yeah. I, I love talking about Star Wars. So now that, <laughs> I've joined the club officially. I can't wait for when we get you to watch Rogue One and then the original Star Wars trilogy. I know you're waiting until season two of Andor to do that, but I, I'm really curious how you react to those original movies at some point. Yes, hopefully we can see Andor's too soon, although... Yeah, well, I think that's, I think that's 2024. <laughs> it's like, I'm still recovering. I mean, like, I mean, like that's a, a very a dense, high-protein meal. So yeah. I'm still I'm still digesting. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we are going to be launching our official season two premiere on 
May 9th. So please look out for that. You can follow us on Trashcom Pod on all social media, and we will see you on the next one.